Hey everyone, welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday show. It's a, a little bit of a somber day in that our friend uh, Miguel Mena was killed last night in, a, in an accident and still kind of hard to believe, shocked to be honest. Uh, he's a good guy, young guy, he leaves behind a wife and two young daughters and just pretty much unspeakable to think about uh, that even happening. Just still kind of stunned. Uh, the Breeders' Cup draw was today. Uh, a couple interesting uh, notes out of that. We'll talk about that with Barry and go over a couple of the races that may be affected by the draw a little bit. Um, one race in particular, I think, is uh, is affected by it. But uh, had quite a few... Dis- um, Defections, <laughs> lack of a better word, mind control was the latest to, to drop out um, out of the dirt mile where he looked like he had a, a decent shot to be somewhere on the ticket, uh, but he is out after developing a fever. And uh, we'll talk about workouts, Petrushka's workout, which was famously overanalyzed to death this, uh, this past weekend. We'll do a little more of that. And uh, just uh, make an announcement about uh, our Wednesday show. I think it'll be a pretty good show. We've got some sharp guys coming on. And best of all, it's free. So we'll be back here in just one minute with the sniper, Barry Spears. Pleasant Acre Farms, located just outside Ocala, Florida, is a full-service commercial breeding operation that has one of the top stallion rosters in the Sunshine State. Standing 10 horses, including sons of top sires such as Curlin, Harlan's Holiday, Unbridled Song, Scat Daddy, Canthros, and Twirling Candy, you'll be sure to find a great match for your mare at Pleasant Acres. Owned and operated by consummate professionals, Joe and Helen Barbazon, they provide clients with world-class services in all facets of the thoroughbred industry. Their commitment to quality is what allows Pleasant Acre Farms to pursue their passion for breeding champions. Check out their website at PleasantAcreStallions.com or call 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Farms. Hello, Mr. Spears. Hello. We are uh, we're back at the uh, the home studio. Oh, the home base! The home base. We've returned from our long sojourn to got too cold, didn't it? The north. It got too cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <clears throat> that is yeah. that is true. That is true. It is November, so it's uh, supposed to be cold. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be cold some places, but some yeah, I was gonna say. I mean it dipped down here um overnight into like fifty eight degrees last night. Mm. And I was I was really hurting. I didn't I did not like. Well, it's currently thirty seven in Saratoga, so Oh yeah. No, my bones would stop like my my joints would freeze and I would not be able to move. Uh, yeah, 
back issues. I'd had every every injury I've ever had would come back if it got that cold down here. Yeah, if it gets that cold here, we have a big. Got the fourth last year. People freak out here when it gets below sixty. Oh man, bundle them kids up at the at the bus stop. And then you go to like like <laughs> downtown Orlando or down near Tourist Town, and, and everybody's like in shorts. Guys, <laughs> like, are it's so warm here. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> well, it's that week. Is it? I didn't even notice. Yeah, hard to believe that snuck up on us, but uh, here it is. Um. The draw was today, and I was going through the races, and I, I, I honestly, it's only one post position that that I I thought was very interesting, and the rest was like, meh. You know what? It's hard to find a a uh, source um, that has the races listed in order. None of them. Like. So hard to just find simple things sometimes in horse racing. Well, I know yeah, um, the, uh, the pre-entries for that were in the DRF. I think they're in order of like the race order, so it had it numbered. But um, but you know, as far as the classic, it's certainly the the post positions seem like that was the one that I thought was interesting, the only one, and it was Hot Rod Charlie drawing inside of Nick Sco. I thought well, that was... listen, let me let me just explain this to you and the rest of the people. <clears throat> Nick Skull was going to be two lengths ahead of the, the, this this field. If Brad Cox only had Nick Skull, he would be two lengths ahead of this field. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's a huge thing. I just thought it was pretty interesting to see. He's actually going to get the Kentucky Derby trip that he got. That's what I was thinking, you know. And, and you know, I, I don't, you know, just... I guess thinking about it maybe too much over the last week or so, you know, in my head, Hot Rod Charlie now, you know, drawing where he did may get the most ideal trip of anybody. That's why I thought it was interesting. Not that he's going to run with Nick's go. I didn't think that. I mean, I thought that that is an option, but I don't think they want to do that. No. Um, But I I think, you know. He's got to get around Tripoli, too. I mean, wouldn't he be apt to sit up close and post one trying to replay that Del Mar, uh, was that right? The Pacific Classic trip? I mean, I don't like Tripoli, but I He's think that do something. <laughs> he, might, he might be a horse that forces everybody one path wider by by sending it from the rail, right? I mean, Irad is not exactly a passive rider either, so. Yeah, I mean, you'd figure from the rail, that's, that's really his only option unless he's just going to drop all the way back. I thought the tough post position in this race was our collector because he's in between Nick's go and he, and right. spirit. So he probably wants to lap on Nick's go as much as he can, but Medina spirit, what John Velasquez does from the outside is going to certainly uh, affect what our collector does. And I mean, he's not going to, our collector, I don't think is going to want to get tucked in behind everybody, but that might be the only option if Johnny really sends from the outside. So, uh, you know, there's a long ways to go. I mean, we've got yeah, to I mean, race, but, take that for our, our. But Nick's goal is going to be. <laughs> he's going to. No one is going to sacrifice themselves 
to run with Nick's go. Because I cannot see Nick's go giving up the lead in this race unless he were to, like, stumble terribly at it. You know, yeah, like he, he, you know, hops the start or something crazy. Yes. Remember that trainers get, you know, usually get uh, a season to the stallions they train. So, you know, like... Like, uh, essential quality is going to stand for a whole lot more than Nick's Go is going to stand for. So, um, the Breeders' Cup Philly Sprint, I was, I, as I had said last week, I was really hoping Bella Sophia drew inside Gamine. So, it would, number one, force her to send because I don't want them to play chicken and just be happy to be there and run second because they can win. Um, but she drew uh, in outside of her. The other thing is that Gamine has drifted in her, her last couple of races. And with Bella Sophia outside of her, that actually probably benefits Gamine. Um, Even. You know, as she's not going to lose ground drifting because she's going to drift into <laughs> Bella Sophia. So, uh, I mean, it is what it is. It's a six horse field. I just hope Louis Saez is aggressive in there. And, I mean, honestly, I, I would give him a pep talk saying, listen, You'll win the Eclipse Award if you win this race. If you're, you're second, there's no three-year-old Philly Eclipse. No, no, there's no three-year-old Philly Sprinter Eclipse Award, right? So running second isn't going to – it's nice. It's a big paycheck, but you can win this race. Um, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, I won't even try to figure anything else out there. Uh, the Dirt Mile, the only thing about that race is that there's um, – the horse in there, Jasper Prince, who was like a, who set a suicidal pace in the sprint last year. <laughs> now he's trying two turns, and you know, is it possible that he'll engage life as good early? <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, I would think that's their only shot, right? I mean, he's got two horses in the race. <laughs> One of them's got to go, right? You would think, force the issue. I don't know how to read the form on the Japanese horses, uh, so you know the only the only thing is the, you know, the he's got two and the one horse showed. Remember the horse cleared from post fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> and and I mean it was just like on a mission. Uh, I remember thinking like this: the horse hadn't even like shown speed his last two races before that. So I don't know what I don't know what the plan is, but there's a, a Japanese jockey coming over to ride him, so. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of the only real drama potentially in that race. Um, mind control, of course, scratched or didn't enter today because uh, has a fever. But but other than that, I mean, you know, um, uh, Adaria drew post twelve, which can't be ideal for her. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of. You know, good horses drew outside, like way outside. Yeah, uh, the sprint, the the regular sprint. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it really matters either way. Your horse drew outside Jackie's Warrior, so he can be intimidated standing in the gate. Listen, no CZ slander. Uh, like I said, if he wins the race, I will wear a, I will buy a purchase and wear a CZ's Rocket T-shirt. All right, man. You heard it here first. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Turf Mile. Uh, Ivar drew, who's kind of like a wise guy horse. 
uh, Drew post 14, which is not good. Casa Creed <clears throat> post 13, which is not good. <laughs> so, um, other than that, I, I mean, the rest of them are, they are what they are. The Breeders' Cup distaff. Interestingly enough, horror cult, or, uh, I always want to call a horror culturist. Horror <laughs> Lodge just uh, drew out right outside Petrushka. That was interesting. So, potential pace battle in there. I mean, I what don't know. are they going to do? I mean, I don't know what else they would do. I mean, that's their style, and that's the style of the other horse. I mean, I had heard something insane on Saturday that uh, Fausto was considering grading Latrushka, which just seemed... that's not nonsense. Yeah. yeah, if he does that, then he... <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that that just seems to be weird <laughs> at this stage of the game. Right? Why would you go to the pretty much the biggest we'll... race of her career and do something different? Uh, we'll talk about her work in a little bit. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Turf, which is tough, a tough race to figure as well. Yeah, that's a that's probably the best one on the card. Tarwana drew post thirteen, though she was probably going to be near the back of the pack really, anyways. So uh, I'm not sure what uh, Colin Keane's going to do here, but that's probably it. Um, and Japan drew post fourteen, which you could say, well, at least he's not going to get blocked in. <laughs> um. You know, the other races, the, surprisingly, I guess not totally surprisingly, but um, you know, there was only six horses in the, uh, the two-year-old race, the juvenile fillies on the dirt. Gross. Which, you know, I guess Sulu Echo kind of scared everybody out there. But... Scared everybody, even even the, his former rider, her, her former rider. <laughs> scared everybody off, huh? Yeah, that was... Once I heard that Damato's Philly was scratched, I mean, I can't say that I was anticipating that, but when the when the news came up, um, you know, Ron, Ron wasn't it wasn't surprising. I mean, Ron was on the phone immediately, <laughs> like, "Hey, you know, my guy's available." Yeah, you're not gonna let him sit in the room, right? Where you you're riding a guy who's over eighty four, <laughs> right? And that's probably exactly what he said to him. I mean, and I'll be honest, I don't like when, you know, people are taking off horses or horses are transferred, but. Especially that guy. I mean, you know, like in, the, in this, in this, in this capacity, I I understand it. <laughs> I do. I, I but I don't because, I mean, they've had a lot of success over the past year. I mean, it's, that's, that's a tough one to swallow when you know, like especially if you're Santana, you know that's probably the horse that will most likely win out of any of the mounts he has. True, but he, he's he's more or less an employee of Steve Asmussen. Oh, yeah. No, I get it. So he doesn't really have um, – he's not like other jockeys, put it that way. He he gets lots of great mounts. He makes lots oh, yeah. of money and – yeah, I'm sure he's never. Like I said gonna... it, it, it's it's you know, you kind of hate to see it, but but uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And I mean, she is making her first time. You know, it it is the first time around two turns for her, so she is being asked to do something a little different. Um, you know, 
having a short field certainly makes the race a little different. Um, I mean, I don't know if everyone's just going to back off and let her lope to the lead. I mean, she has the speed probably to outrun them all if she really wants to. So, but we'll see. Uh, you know, the, the, the juvenile with Jack Christopher drunk post one and uh, <laughs> the Baffert horse drunk, you know, the, the, the big name Baffert horse drawing post 12. That, that was, it might be just an interesting footnote. I mean, post one, there's not that much of a turn run to the turn. So post one's probably the best. It probably, yeah. So you always have to be a little concerned about post one because sometimes, you know, if, if you do break a step slow, you can wind up buried on the inside. But, uh, you know, if you drip, if you break slow from any position, it, it can be right uh, brutal. So, it could be, especially in a big field, you know. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of get this out of the way because it's really a shitty thing and, just want to say um, how badly I feel about um, about McGill Mena, and just uh, it's just another lesson in that you know you can't take tomorrow for granted. I mean, we don't know that it's going to be here, so you have to be happy with what you have and, and enjoy your life and the people that are around you and that care about you while you have it, because you never know. Uh, when it's going to be, when it's going to be gone. Right. Definitely. You know, tomorrow is never promised. No, no. And it's, it's, it's a hard thing to live. I mean, it's easy to get caught up in your troubles and your worries and, you know, the little petty fights and nonsense that happens. But in the end, you know, the important things are the important things. And sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in things like horse racing, which in the grand scheme of things, aren't all that important. Um, and uh, Miguel was a good kid. I mean, he was a good guy. He had his, you know, he had his issues like everybody else. Um, and life has issues, right? But yeah, he, he was a good guy. I mean, he was a nice guy. And, um, you know, he loved his kids two young daughters um i remember when he first came up from i think he came from calder i mean he had he was born in peru went through the jockey school there but he was a calder for a while Mm -hmm. and he came up to kentucky and and we were you know i used him um he wasn't a regular rider of mine but we rode him quite a bit and and uh he always tried you know and he always had good feedback for you and he wouldn't try to bullshit you, and that, that was the one thing I liked. And that he wouldn't—he uh, wouldn't tell you just what you wanted to hear. So, uh, just kind of a, a shock. I mean, uh, I heard from from Steve Bick uh, right around noon today, and uh, I guess he heard it from from uh, from Al Stahl, and Al and, and Miguel were real tight, uh, but uh, just kind of a somber. Thing. I, I just, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to believe. It's just as, uh, well, he's, you know, he, he wasn't that old, you know, 30, 34, 35. 34. He's going to turn 35 on Sunday, I think. I mean, it's, it's just devastating. 
yeah, there's just not much else to say. I mean, I, I just don't know what else to say. And uh, you know, Steve was pretty tight with him. He was he was kind of broke up about it. I mean, Steve is dealing with his own issues. He's gonna say, yeah, that's... he called me from the hospital last week <laughs> and uh, said, uh, "You're never gonna guess what happened." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, that's. That that wasn't on my list of things that I was guessing was happening with him, but but uh, you know he's he's going to be okay, and thankfully he he got himself checked out, and and they found out uh, he had a little issue, a little health issue that uh, has been remedied, and you know he, he was scheduled to go to Delmar and spend the next uh, ten days or so out there. So I mean it's better that uh, if you have some sort of issue that that you get taken care of at home instead of being on an airplane or right you know where where you can't get help or right or in a you know restaurant in a city that you're not that familiar with but uh again it's just uh like we get caught up in racing and a lot of the the bullshit that happens in racing and it's aggravating i mean believe me <laughs> so, so much uh, this sport is is there's just so much to be aggravated about and it just sometimes we just never learn it seems right like no matter how many times a mistake is made uh this business it just seems seems to keep on making them and um you know there, there was an incident today right and the headline screams you know, Doug O'Neill gives illegal medication to horse, huh. and that was a false headline. It, it was a a supplement that was given the day before a race, um, and it's a supplement that that I've used plenty of, and a lot of um, you know legitimate trainers use. Uh, BRL Equine was a sponsor of the show. Um, believe me, and I don't have sponsors that I don't believe in their products. I'm not going to be just chilling for anyone. And it's just, I don't know if the time frame, you know, was less than 24 hours to post or more than 24 hours, whatever it was. It's just, uh, this is a very, very minor technicality. And it's made out to, to be a big deal. And it's not a big deal. And I don't care if you think it's a big deal. Well, then guess what? That's your business. <laughs> not, not you, but no, I know because people are, you know, you already see on social media. Oh, if this was Baffert, no, if it was Baffert, it wouldn't be a big deal either, because it's illegal. It's a naughty. It's not even a drug. There's no drugs in these things, and I don't know what all the circumstances were, but this wasn't on race day. So you're talking about a, a technicality like you would talk about um, driving with a, a broken uh, rear view, um, a rear wind, uh, light, tail light. Yeah. You know, you got to get it fixed. And I'm not saying, hey, they should have known what the rule was and made sure they followed the rule. Yes, of course. Of course. That's not the point. The point isn't that maybe they shouldn't be fined. 500 bucks or something like that right the point is that it's it's not like uh this is what the headline screams 
And that's part of the problem. And a lot of people in this business wanted it like this. Whether they, whether they say it and admit it or not, they wanted it like this. And this is what makes, um, this is what makes it difficult to really discuss the issues because we have so many of these nonsensical issues that come up and right. And they're commingled with the the big stuff. And it's like, now everybody thinks that everything is huge and it's just, there's no education as far as that goes. I mean, it's hard to tell that it is. And it's, it's, um, you know, we're, we're talking about the whips, right? The whip rule in California. And mm-hmm. today there was a story about they're going to talk to the jockeys. The most, most of them don't ride there regularly. So they're going to be facing rules that are different than everywhere else. And you know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be a certain <laughs> answer. There's a close, a close race. You know, they're going to go after it. Yeah. Guys are going to try to win. And I want them to try to win. I want that. You should want them to try to win. Damn right I want them to win. <laughs> and that's the thing is that this arbitrary number set up, it's just arbitrary. Five's fine, seven's terrible. I mean, how can that be? It's, right. It's absurd. Of course. And it's... It's just uh, it's just more confusion, more confusion. Confusion sucks. Anyways, we're Wednesday. We're going to uh, we're going to do a show. Oh for yeah, for free, free ninety nine, free, free. Buy one, get one free. Get three free. We're going to have you, of course, the sniper, who's already made his sprint selection like two months ago. That is correct. But we do have other races that you're going to you're going to give us your unique analysis of uh, Absolutely. Jason. Jason Bidis will be uh, he'll be he'll be here to, to share his view. Jay is uh, going to be thoroughly prepared because he, he always is. He knows uh, he knows the horses. He knows the pedigree. He does the research. So, Jay's Jay's a a good source of information, and we potentially might get Doug Salvador. Oh man, I a, gotta, I, I, this this should go into the the Hall of Fame. I got a maybe from from Doug. So, Doug is as sharp as a guy is he ever gonna meet. Um, but he's off the word. He's easily distracted. So. Yeah, he's off center. He's like just slightly. I, I think this this weekend he spent most of the weekend applying for fast food jobs all over Erie, Pennsylvania, just to see who would hire him. Not that he actually wanted the job. Right, he didn't want the job. No, <laughs> that's you know. So uh, hopefully we can get him on. Um, Being... He didn't know if he could make it by Wednesday, but I told him you know he's got all day. Well, he's got all night tonight and all day tomorrow and all day Wednesday to, to brush up on uh, on his stuff. So so that'll be Monday. Or excuse me, Monday. That'll be Wednesday. Uh, we're going to tape around 7, so hopefully be out that night. And obviously, 
be available on Thursday. And we'll try not to make it like the marathon of all marathons and not break down the Japanese duo and the dirt miles races of 2019 or their debut or anything. So See, that's what I was pinpointing. We, we need a Japanese expert. Dude, I'm talking to him. I do like a Japanese horse in one of the races, but I'll, I'll hold off until I'll hold off until Wednesday before making. There's a lot of them. Relevation. Right? There's a lot of Japanese horses. There. <laughs> I was gonna say there's quite <laughs> a few. Seems like there's more Japanese horses than there are East Coast horses. Oh, dang. <laughs> but I'll give that. I'll give a Hideki Mori uh, credit. I mean, he's he's here. He's here. He's trying. Give it a shot. I, you can't. Can't. You got to be in it to win it. Yeah, there was. I, I saw there was a filly from South Africa via England. I think it ran once in England. Uh, there was in the pre-entries that was way down the list in, in one of the races, the mile, I think, the turf mile, which had like 24 pre-entries. And her form was not really good enough, but I, I did think it was interesting. Yeah. Well, orderly Australia's form wasn't good enough either. Uh, yeah, well, this filly has run for a couple of years, so she is yeah. who she is. But you know, she had ran once in England and it just got you know, got beat 20 lengths. So. Well, was it Auto Australia last year? It was a 47 length L. Yeah, but you know what? When Sometimes the horses lose like that. It, it's just a, a line, you know, across, across the through a line through it and just move on because the reason the guy like Aiden O'Brien sent him over here, you know, he wasn't sent him over here just to get a race into him. No, he, he knew the horse had talent. And I'm not saying that I, I would have, you know, I loved him or anything. I'm just saying that. Uh, Clearly, you did not. <laughs> no, but guys like that are, are going to send horses. He's not going to send the horse over. Right. He knows. He knows. He thinks. Company. He thinks you got a shot to maybe hit the board. Sometimes you just win, and and you know that's the one thing I think the overanalyzation of the Europeans and watching their races. I, I don't think it means anything to watch their races. I really don't. After 30 years of watching European horses come over to this country, and especially in the Breeders' Cup, and having, um, I mean, we know who the really, really good horses are, right? We know who the top ones are, the Tarwanas, the ones that run one, two, three every time. But those aren't always the ones that win, and they certainly aren't the ones that are going to be um, priced properly. The, the, the good Europeans now get overbet, and that leaves, you know, some value with the other horses. And remember, a lot of times they're sending horses over here, uh, particularly when they're held in California, because the trainer feels that the ground is going to help their horse. And sometimes, you know, we're like, well, you know, it's not softball. Every race in Europe isn't run on a bog. And there are horses over there that might prefer it a little, a little firmer. And that's why we get uh, some form reversals that we've had over the years in the Breeders' Cup where long shot European horses have run, come over here and run great. And I think that's, that's one of the things that we can kind of focus on Wednesday a little bit is are the Europeans going to be over bet? And I mean, Tarwana was what? Nine to two last year. Yeah. I like her more on that course at nine to two than I'm going to like her if she's nine to five at Del Mar at Del Mar. Right. So <laughs> those closers seem to be able to, to handle Del Mar. I mean, it's not like Santa Anita, but, but, uh, there's a lot of Europeans, 
a lot of them. So I thought it was interesting looking at some of the pre-entries of the European two-year-olds. One horse has got like like nine races already. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Maxfield's only had ten races, and he's run for three Period. years. <laughs> and his last race is coming up. Yeah, his 11th and final of his career. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you pointed something out to me the other day that I, I hadn't even realized, and it hasn't really been brought up very much, but these are going to be late races. Oh, man, I was so heated when I saw the time. These are basically night races for the East Coast. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that, and I didn't either until I saw the the schedule come out, and I was like, "Wait a minute, this is all Pacific times." Yeah. Oh boy, this is gonna be late. Friday's card doesn't really get underway till ten minutes to six. The Breeders' Cup um, on the East Coast. So that is, that's that's, it, believe me, ten minutes to six, and in, in most of the East Coast, it's pitch black. It's oh, yeah, this time of year, yeah. Uh, all the races are going to be on, on NBCSN. And supposedly this will be the last time it's on NBCSN because there's not right. supposed to be any more NBCSN um, by the time they run these races next year. And I don't have any clue uh, what they're going to do. And we talked about this earlier in the year when the announcement was made that NBC Sports uh, Channel was going away and they were going to really focus on their streaming platform, Peacock. which Peacock, which they did starting with the Olympics. They put a lot of, uh, like the the Olympic basketball, men's basketball, which is a popular you know viewing sport. Most of the games were on Peacock. So I have a feeling we might wind up streamed or put on a real lesser NBC channel, like, I don't know, the Golf Channel, or one of those channels that, NBC owns that doesn't have a whole lot of exposure and it's a problem to me. I mean, I, I think that, uh, yes, it's, it's uh, the NBA major league baseball, uh, the NFL are all using non over the air, free over the air platforms. Right. I mean, I wonder if that was built into the contract they signed with the Brewers. I don't, I don't think, I mean, listen, I, I'm not privy to the contract, but a lot of the, I remember when it was signed and a lot of um, what it was announced at the time was that the industry more or less had to sell the, the advertising for these, the minutes we got. And that's why you see a lot of industry heads. Big head. during that time, right? um, And I, I was critical and I remain critical of it. And people can call me a jerk or whatever they want, but there is a, a a desperate lust for live sporting events out there. And to think that we have got to have a deal like we've got, hmm. it just seems like we could have leveraged this a little bit better. And am I second-guessing? Yes, I'm second-guessing because, you know, that's what we do. But um, I just didn't like the fact they got locked into a long-term contract. Because I don't know. I mean, they're showing one race on national television, the classic, and that's at eight o'clock on Saturday night. Right. The, the post time's eight forty. Right. I mean, it, it's it's eight to nine. We're getting one hour of of live coverage, and I don't know what the ratings are for um, 
Well, maybe they'll they move it to NBC Sports Channel, but they're getting rid of it. <laughs> so they yeah. can't be like, they can't be like outstanding, right? But um, I would guess, you know, honestly, from that perspective, the later, the better. They will be on TVG. Uh, all the races except uh-huh. the class will be shown on TVG, which is yeah. a which is a break from uh, before, and that may wind up being what they wind up doing. Just reading the tea leaves is perhaps they're going to use Peacock to stream it, and they're going to say if you want to watch it on TV, it'll be on TVG. I, I don't know. Maybe they'll do something else. Who knows? I'm sure the Breeders' Cup people hate me by now. So, mm. but hey, I'm not the one that's charging you know seven million dollars for a seat. Literally seven million. <sighs> Literally seven million dollars. I know. You could sign a mediocre relief pitcher, or you could buy a clubhouse <laughs> seat for the Breeders' Cup. Ball. But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be late, and see, I, I my problem is, you know, it, it's it's wasn't designed to be late. It wasn't designed to be late. And even if they started it early, like even West Coast time it would still be okay. Like, remember the one they had at Churchill that was basically a night one? Mm-hmm. That Ellie was designed Sheba. to be. That was by design. Like, if they said, hey. Ellie Sheba ran in the dark, basically. Yeah, the, the prime time. Like, the, the what was it? Zenyatta Blame one was yeah. pretty much at yeah, night. Right. Um, you know, that would be one thing. You know, if it was like, all right, well, we're going to have it at night this time. It's going to be night racing. And we're going to start it at six, end it. 1030 or whatever. But it doesn't seem like it's going to work that way. And I I guess it's okay because it is going to get covered somewhat prime time. Which is okay. But it just seems like you know, it wasn't meant for that. At least not I I can't remember from 2017. It wasn't wasn't that late when, when no, uh, it wasn't that late. I think they started at 11. At Santa 11. Anita two years ago, it wasn't. California it wasn't. time. Yeah. I'm talking about um, the last time it was at Del Mar. <clears throat> I think it started early, like at a, like 11 their time. Right. But, I mean, we'll see how it works out. I, I wasn't really fond of it because I kind of stuck, I guess, all day. I'd rather take my winnings at eight o'clock. Go do something. <laughs> um, I hear you, man. It's uh, I, it, I don't like it. I guess it just took me by surprise. Man. I don't know if it's a good move, a bad move. I, I really can't tell you. You know, either way, it's a tough call. I mean, you, we don't know until afterwards, and you're like, oh, it was dragging. It was just ridiculously long. I mean, if you're there in California, you probably like it. Oh yeah, because it's, it's 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 kind of normal time for you, you know, like what we would normally see. Um, but uh, you know, we're still gonna watch it. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it's just you know the the forty minutes between races is a killer. Yeah, that's no fun. Um, uh, luckily, there's there's not a 
a lot of big college football matchups to go against it this month, or this weekend. No, that's good. Fight there's, time. And there's, there's, not, there's not like some big game. Old, you know, people in Kentucky think in Tennessee versus Kentucky is a big game, but it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's very few ranked teams even playing each other. So, so at least we don't have to go up against uh, – you know, some big SEC Alabama versus uh, mm. Georgia kind of. Ohio State, Michigan. Right. Sometimes. It's going to take all the attention away. So there's there's always that. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. I mean, especially in that primetime kind of slot, you know. Usually you get that on a Saturday night. is a is a big college game, college football game. At this rate, it seems like the, the – the World Series is never going to end. Well, let's see. <laughs> the games seem like they're never going to end. Right, it's just forever, man. It's just they like to drag them out. Um, can't do it, man. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Latrushka, and I have been against Latrushka for about. Two months now. Two months, yep. And that's not personal at all. I, I really, if she wins, listen, I'll lose all my my tickets. But um, she deserves it. She I'm not going to flowers. Not going to feel bad about her winning because she's a really tough horse. She's a really cool horse. She's got a, a great record, uh, and her trainer and connections have have run her. I mean, I can't knock her for running. To me, though, she's a vulnerable type of horse. And I was happy that she won that race in Saratoga because I didn't, I wanted her to be uh, on a winning streak coming into this race. I really did because I, I want to play against her. And it's kind of similar to the Swiss Skydiver theory last year mm. in that she danced a lot of dances. And sometimes you dance one too many, one too many tough races. Uh, this is, and this is not a theory that was really relevant 20 years ago or 25 years ago uh not that guys didn't run over the top horses then too dancing brave would be probably the best example of that just was shipped over here just absolutely was over the top and shouldn't have run but um i just think that she's a horse that has danced a lot of dances she's also been on the vets list in kentucky more than once and that doesn't mean that she's lame you go on the vets list for various reasons now. Mostly you're going on the vets list if, is if um, you are injected, have a joint injection. She's been on the vets list a couple times. So it's not necessarily uh, news that horses get joint injections. But, but there's an issue. There's or an was, issue. Exactly. Right. There's something... There's, there's clearly, you know, a confirmational issue, something that, that, that has been, uh, you know, that's been addressed. And, and she might be fine. And I'm not saying, like, she's going to get hurt or anything like that. I'm just saying that she's had a very long campaign and running on the lead, even though she's gotten some really soft trips on the lead, running on the lead, you run the whole race. When you're a closer you only run the second part of the race for the most part. You know, you're in cruise control, you're just kind of galloping along, and then you finish up. Well, when you're on the lead, 
even your slower fractions are faster than what the closers are running um, in their slower fractions. So it takes a little more out of you. Um, so she works the other day, and I was sitting at Pompano. <laughs> and my friend texted me and said, what did you think about Latruska's work? And I was like, I don't know anything about it. And it was funny because I was sitting on the patio at Pompano on the second floor, and there's like a bay of TVs there. And just as this happens, they're they're showing her work. It was like weird. Um, Destiny. And, you know, people were a little bit pissed off at Richard Baltus's guy for getting in the way, but that's really not how it works out there. Um, I mean, she broke off and the other Philly broke off and then, you know, like someone was saying, well, you know, she should have seen this purple saddle towel. Well, you know, when the horses are, uh, they're out there, man, they're they're a quarter (laughs) mile behind you. Right. It's not like uh, this is Kmart and you got the blue light special coming, right? I mean, the horses are horses are horses and they're all over the place. And, whether Delmar or the Breeders' Cup should have designated a time for only Breeders' Cup horses to work or whatever that I, I, you know, what I heard of it, that's debatable. It's yeah. immaterial, really. In that, this other filly joined in to Latrushka's work, and it really—if <laughs> they tried to plan it that way, it probably would have never come off. But um. <laughs> You know, the, the filly who was outsider was a two-year-old filly who's broker maiden. I mean, she's not a bad horse. Um, you know, she was, she worked a half, and the Trushka worked more than a half, and the Trushka had a, a bigger rider on, which, of course, does matter a little bit. And Roger Horgan, who's probably you know, right around 140, 150. Um, the, the rider for Baltus horse looked like he weighed 105 pounds. He was a yeah, real Little. But Latrushka didn't work great, and she wasn't supposed to work hard. It was supposed to be an easy half, uh, and that's kind of really what it was. <laughs> Where I was kind of not impressed is usually a horse like her, a horse that's very, very tough. Wouldn't yeah. want to, to get by, right? It, well, the fact that she didn't run off, to me, I, I look at it as almost a negative in that I'm thinking, if she was really primed or a week out and – she hadn't worked since her last race. Um, and I don't know, maybe she was tranquilized. I mean, it's possible. I've, I've, I've tranquilized horse for her. I had a horse named Battle One. If I didn't give him a little bit of tranq the morning of the work, he'd work in 56. Half mile, or five eighths, not, five, not, not a half mile. He would work fast. He, he, He's super, his, super fast. His last work before the Churchill Downs handicap that he won. Um, he had run it on the turf, and I didn't think he got a lot out of that race. So I wanted a real tough, real tight work. I had a, a guy, um, Frankie Castillo. Uh, Frankie's passed on, but he was a, a good exercise rider. He was a great, he was great on a pony. He was really, really good. Uh, he was, remember jockey Herberto Castillo? That is mm-hmm. his, his uncle. Oh, wow. Um, and, but Frankie was heavy at this point, <laughs> and <laughs> he was probably about 150, 155. But Battle One 
when he was when he was really doing good was so difficult to work because he just wanted to go super fast and I had Frankie work him uh, a week out from the dirt from Derby Day and he worked five eighths of Churchill 57 and one and like I said Frankie had to weigh 150 155 pounds and he never really let him run and uh, that was one of the signs that like <laughs> This guy's a powder keg, man. We're, 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 bet, we're betting this right. I don't care who's in the race. <laughs> and as it turns out, he, he did. He galloped. Um, but I don't know that... Put it this way. If he was in that position, of course, they're different horses. But he was a similar type of horse. He wanted to be strong every day. He wanted to train hard. And I, and I see that... that, that uh, the Gutierrez does a lot of ponying with it. Ponying is when the horse goes out without a rider um, and just gets led around by the pony. And they, they jog or gallop around with no weight on their back. And, and that's something that you, you tend to do with horses that are very, very tough on themselves or with really light horses, horses that um, have a hard time carrying weight, nervous horses, sometimes being with the pony and not having to carry the rider's weight on their back while still getting some exercise, that helps as well. But it's not something you usually see Breeders' Cup-type horses doing. Um, so, and I know he's done that with her all, you know, probably her whole career. So it's not a change. But my guess is that that the races are going to be, um, I mean, this is the one race where everybody's going to be gunning for. And with Mott's Philly outside of her, he's going to probably, I, I can't believe he's going to let her just clear off to a right. two-length lead and and go 48 right. to that. Because if she does, I, I, Latrushka should probably, st- even if she's not 100% at her, at her best, oh, right. she should still win. Um. But I think with enough pressure uh, on her that I think she'll get beat. And like I said, I'm not rooting for her to get beat other than I'm not I'm betting against the horse. I don't even know who I'm going to bet on. I, I still have to, to go over it. I have to kind of look at the, you know, the post positions, kind of try to figure out how the race is going to be run, who's going to be where. <clears throat> and, then, and then even then, see how the track plays because – as we know, the track, how it's played before, doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's going to play on the two right day. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you. You know, I think I said this to you, and it and it just looked like she was totally uninterested in the other horse, and that kind of raised a little red flag for me too. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a works guy by any means. I, I see enough of them, but not enough to make a real qualified, <laughs> you know, analysis of what went on. But I knew enough to know that, you know, you would think a horse like, like you said, like Lutruska would kind of jump in the bit a little bit and get a little competitive. And she just kind of kept kind of coasting. 
which was weird. I, I thought it was bizarre. Yeah, and the track was really fast. I mean, it was quick. Uh, she came home with 13 and change and just kind of looked, she just looked ordinary. She looked, looked ordinary. Old. Right. Oh, so take it what you, you know, as you may. I mean, listen, I'm a, I train horses for a long time. I've seen tens of thousands of horses work. <laughs> and Literally. I was talking about this on Facebook with, uh, with someone the other day. And, you know, everybody like, does all this work study, workout study. A lot. These horses should be all working good. They're going into the Breeders' Cup. And, you know, I, it's funny people say, well, everybody says, well, the horse is doing training great. Well, what do you want them to say? Right. There's nothing else to say. That's well, it. I can tell you. I said yesterday on Twitter to a guy, hey, trainers do say my horse didn't work that great. <laughs> yeah. They Except, you, know how it come, you know how it comes out? We're going to pass on the Breeders' Cup. We're not going to ship. We're not going to enter. That's how it comes up. That's saying my horse didn't work that great. But, you know, that's like, what do you not want people to say? I mean, it's just, you know. They want, they want like a trainer press conference type stuff like they do in other sports, like football or basketball. But in the other sports, they don't tell the truth. Uh, Tom Brady was on the injury report for 11 consecutive years. Yeah. Well, that's that's him. You know, that's Belichick. Will remember Tom Brady. Nobody comes out and tells the truth. That's a that's a bunch of bullshit. You know, this idea that oh, everybody—it's nonsense. Put yourself in the trainer's shoes. Remember one thing: the trainer might be there because the owner's wanting him to be there. And let me let me just explain this to you. Outside of like the big names, most trainers ain't rich. They can't just afford to lose owners. (laughs) <laughs> because you know they don't really want to run in the race, but the owner wants to run in the race. Well, what are you going to do? Make the owner look look stupid? It's a good way to get fired. I mean, you can watch the works now. You can watch all the works. Look at it and watch it for yourself and see. If you don't like the way the work works, then throw them out. Like I'm well, actually why, surprised. Why do you need someone else's. Um, I'm surprised work. trainers don't say that more often and say, hey, you know, you saw the work. It's it's right there. Uh, <laughs> it, it just is, it's kind of silly that everybody's, you know, of course yeah. everybody's going to, like, nobody goes to the Super Bowl and says, oh, God, we're, you know, our guys are on, on their last legs and, you know, our, our star <laughs> defensive end's got banged up. Yeah, he's got, a, got a, a bad ankle, but, you know, he can barely walk, but, uh, you know, we're gonna, I guess we're going to try to tough it out. I mean, unless they're lying about it. You know, it's like... Right, sandbagging. <laughs> stop looking at that stuff. It just confuses you. That's who I am. I, I like watching the works. I mean, but I don't really take a lot of stock into it, you know, most of the time. But that was a little unusual, and it kind of stood out to me. But everybody else, like you said, they all work good. They're all, they're, they're all big-time horses. They're, they're going to work good every time. Yeah, it's it's just I think it's a waste of time to spend hours and hours and hours watching good horses work. Especially, see, like I said, I've seen more works than ninety nine percent of the people out there, right? But the truth is, outside of the really good works, like a spectacular work or a really bad work, um, if you don't have a good baseline of how a horse usually works, how they usually carry their head, how they usually, you know, switch leads. How they usually right? You're not gonna go. 
then it, it's that that's where you get the differences. And that's why a clocker report can be valuable because those guys are supposed to know how the horse usually goes. You can't just watch a work at, and, and, and say, well, you know, this horse has worked. Unless, like I said, unless the horse works spectacularly well or spectacularly poorly. Um, there was a horse, was it? Um, this is going back when TVG first started doing like the pre, like the works shows. Uh-huh. Um, there was a, it was a Breeders' Cup at Churchill and it was a horse, I think from Maryland. And the horse worked horrible, looked lame, looked dead lame. I was there. So, I mean, I remember it. And <laughs> I couldn't wait to hear what Amos, because that was like Amos's first year on TV. And I couldn't wait to hear Amos like try to like muddle through without like saying, oh my God, that horse looks dead lame. They should scratch it, you know? And uh, the, they showed the work and they, he was like, well, yeah, yeah. his action wasn't real smooth there. And oh man, uh, yeah, I gotta say, um, I'm not trying to like, you know, insult anybody or anything, but that really wasn't a very good work. And, and as it turns out, the horse was scratched. He didn't run. But it's just, uh, I think you can get, you can get tricked into thinking like horses are, are, are better or worse than, than they really are. And, you know, so that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I, I think they scrapped that this year. Remember they used to give them grades? give them grades on their on their works well they give grades in like the trf work reports and they're all b's all b's yeah all b's like the killer b's b b minus i i was saying to myself one time what does it take to get an a work you gotta right. work that's, that's what i want to know you gotta work like uh, one day when i worked for jerkins mike smith came to work sky beauty <laughs> and he wanted a real sharp work. Now, you remember, a, a sharp work for the old-time trainers was 5 eighths and 58. Um, and Mike Smith worked her, and, and he went 7 eighths and 125, which you would think would be considered sharp work, but he wanted to go a little harder. slow. <laughs> he came back afterwards, and he said, you know, he said something to Mike, and Mike said, but look, she's hardly even blowing hard. And, of course, Jerkins, like, blew up and said, yeah, you, you jockeys don't we want them to blow hard in the morning so they don't blow hard in the afternoon. So she went out and she won anyways. But um, <laughs> later on that year, and this was after she carried 130 and I think it was the Hempstead. And she really never was the same after that. Um, but he wanted a work in like 7, 8, and 25. <laughs> and Mike had remembered, you know, so Mike worked just seven eighths and like one twenty two and change. Oh my god! He comes back. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, why'd you go so fast? He's like, well, you told me you wanted to breathe hard in the. He goes, yeah, but that was her first race on the layoff. She's been running all year. <laughs> oh man! But like, if you ever looked at Secretariat's work tab, he worked like one oh nine and change all the time. Like, <laughs> imagine that. I mean, just like nothing. Like nothing. He told me, Alan told me, and he's told this story numerous times, it wasn't just me, that he was sitting on his pony and he watched and he clocked Secretariat before he ran Onion against the Midwitten. And he said he went 
um, he said he, he, it piqued his interest because Turcotte was on him. And they said he didn't usually work with the jockey because he'd go too fast. So he saw Turcotte was on the horse. And, of course, everybody knew who Secretary was. And he goes, they put the clock on him, and he went and it happened like 48. And he goes, you know, something's not right with him because that's really slow for that horse, especially with the jog on him. And he goes, that's why I, I put Onion in the race. He goes, it wasn't any grand scheme that I had for months and months and months. He goes, it was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. The horse, uh, I think Onion had just set the track record at Belmont for six and a half in his previous start. So he was a sharp horse, and you know, it was the right horse on the right day. And he got, it kind of got Secretary buried up on the inside as well. So he didn't get a, a comfortable trip. But but um, that that's... That's just an example of a horse, like knowing the horse and seeing something out of the ordinary um, and having it wind up, you know, come out like it did. Because uh, that's the thing that's the trouble with works is that, like I said, if you, if you don't know how a horse usually works, it's hard to tell if it's good or bad. And like, like you said, these are really good horses. <laughs> They're supposed to be working good, right? Uh, you would think. But it's fun. I, you know, I enjoy this time of year, especially this this kind of, you know, during the week. I mean, it's really going to get interesting on Wednesday when <clears throat> they run some races over there to see how the track is. I mean, you know, it's somewhat of a gauge. But like you said, you know, you never really know until that day. But I can say when I when I hit that real nice one in the, in the breeders cup. I was really, really, really on to the speed bias that was going on at Santa Anita on the dirt. And it, it really helped me that day. I mean, that's how I got, uh, what's her name? Take charge Brandy. I was like, that's the only speed horse here. <laughs> and lo and behold, she, Paid a what was it a hundred and twenty? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I kind of threw her in because I was like, well, you know, she she was kind of off form, and but she showed speed and she she had she was good, you know, earlier in the year she was really good and kind of tailed off and I was like, you know, with the tracks playing the way it's playing, she could bounce back and just get on the super highway and, and roll out. And that's exactly what she did. She was the last horse I put on that ticket too. Um, but even Judy, the beauty, uh, you know, everybody that ran in that sequence on the dirt, um, really on the lead, it was, it was amazing that it was that biased. Well, you know, just talking about things that, you know, it's difficult to get context like the Japanese horse, right? You have this horse. Yeah, what does he do? Great <laughs> in uh, the Airgate cult who's in the juvenile, right? He ran one time um, and he won by 10, <laughs> going a mile and an eighth. Uh, it was a, a race that was, it wasn't just a maiden race. Apparently in Jap Japan, they have uh, races for horses that have never raced before. So it was uh, however many were in the field going a mile and an eighth, first time out. And he, dusted the field. I mean, he won easy. He looked impressive doing it. Uh, the time, I don't know how to, to, to gather the time, like 154 for a mile and an eighth. Uh, I have nothing to gauge 
that time with. We have nothing to gauge the field with. And like you just watched the race and the horse won by 10 and, and, and looked easy. I mean, looked really good doing it, but I just don't know. Like, what do you do with a horse like that? Like, you know, a wild card, just one of those throw-ins. You either like them or you don't. Um, but you know, just watching a whole bunch of things on how they train horses in Japan. I mean, you could, you could say the, the horse is probably dead fit. <laughs> Whether he's fast enough is another story, but those horses, they, they're, they're, in, they're fit. I mean, they go uphills, downhills in the water. They do a whole lot of stuff. Um, It's, it's a tough call. I remember uh, the Philly came over from Japan and won either the first running of uh, the race at Hollywood Park. The yeah, printer. American, the American Oaks. Oh, Cesario? Cesario. Mm. And she just, like, crushed them. Crushed. Just, just absolutely flew by everybody in the stretch. Just finished hard. Just destroyed a good field and and won by like seven or eight, and you just don't see that in, in turf races. Um, so I mean, certainly their, their horses are good over there. They they're competitive. Didn't we have one uh, a few years ago that that uh, won on the dirt in the sprint race? Sprint, yeah, and he came over here and he won. He won a couple of races. He won a, a prep race races. at Santa Anita, I believe. Um, but they raced some of that Lasix and he bled. He mm-hmm. won that race, and then he came back, and, and, he, and he ran uh, in another race, and Ben bled like out the nose, and finished up the track, and he, he was never to be seen again, at least in the U.S. Uh, can't remember his name either. Uh, this is the first, well, the first uh, Breeders' Cup without Lasix, so I don't know. Uh... I've seen some opinions on that on on Twitter, which is yeah. always. Nice. Oh, listen, I, I'm done <laughs> talking about it. I, I just I talked about it for two, two for two decades now, and it just makes no sense to me. It, it is what it is at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's a federal law that's been passed that's going to ban it. So that's how we're going to have to deal with it. Um, it's kind of like uh, an unforced error, <laughs> right? Like nobody was actually calling for this except for people within the industry that just just seem misguided and well how did they get their way that's well they got their way because they passed this this law because you know whatever um i'm sure the uh federal indictments coming down you know paved the way even if it didn't exactly have a whole lot to do with it it's just the way it is and um but I i don't know that really you can look at the races and uh and have it be a factor handicapping. Um, I mean, the only horse I know who's had a lot of bleeding issues in the past that's running is your horse, CZ Rocket. Listen, man. Uh, who's, they've been very vocal about him having bleeding issues. So, uh, but, but he's competed in California and off Lasix and, and ran well. I mean, he didn't win, but he didn't run terrible either. So, uh, it's it's uh, 
I don't know how to incorporate it into anyone's handicapping opinions at, at all. I, I just don't know. And it's one of those after the fact things, right? You're going right. to exactly horses that run bad after the fact. You're going to find out uh, that uh, the someone asked me one time, you know, do jockeys matter? I said, yeah, they do matter. The problem is a lot of times you don't know if they mattered until after the race is over. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you then if they matter or not, but uh, you don't know before the race. But it's it's uh, the takeout in Cal- levels in California. I hadn't seen the takeout chart from California for a while for whatever reason. I don't really play California much at all, so um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. But someone had put it up. Uh, I think Jeremy Ballin had put it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, got it from one of the CHRB meetings and the takeout's too high there, man. No kidding, sir. I mean, come on. It's 23, 24, 25%. Come on, man. That's, that's a lot. What is wrong with this industry? Seriously. Oh, but it's only 16% for one place in show. Who bet show? Should take a poll. Who bets show? I bet you the 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 uh, the answers would surprise you. I'd be surprised if people admitted they bet show. <laughs> Somebody said <laughs> with this with this betting menu. No, ITP said it. He said he's going to have to hire an assistant. There's just going to be so many bad tickets out there this weekend. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, did you see that? Uh, was it a all-turf pick three or pick four or something? Yeah. The, uh, interestingly enough, that must have been a late addition because yeah. uh, there there is no takeout listed, but I'm going to assume it's probably the thirty exorbitantly high – Twenty something percent. I mean, just the fact that there's two takeouts on the on pick fives in California that that makes no sense. Right? How you have an early pick five with one takeout and then an, and a late pick five with another takeout? That's just the stupidest thing ever. Just have a low takeout on a, on on one of the bets. It's not it's not going to kill anybody. It's not going to kill anybody. It'll probably help them. Listen, if you if you were in a leadership position in the state of California over the last 20, 25 years, uh, you should probably not be in a leadership position anymore because racing there has declined massively. Everything you guys have done out there, pretty much, uh, maybe not everything, maybe 75, 80% of things were wrong. And some of it's the, the, the racing commission, some of it's the tracks, some of it's the horsemen's organizations. The owners have a lot to say out there. The TLC is, is, is a big player, but... And I don't want to be negative, but sometimes it just feels like racing is just holding on out there. It's a far cry from when it was in its heyday in the 80s and the 90s. But, uh, I don't have enough horses. <laughs> I don't have enough horses, but you know, it's, raising takeout's not going to make the horses come. That's not right. That's not going to change that. Raising takeout. Yeah. 
And, and, and it's understandable that they do now, now, right? 2021, <laughs> now they are in a position, a difficult position in a competitive standpoint when you're dealing with Oak Lawn and their slot fuel purses and Kentucky and their slot fuel purses and New York and their slot fuel purses in that California racing is never going to get that. So that is something that is definitely uh, an obstacle for them. And expenses in California are ludicrously high, except for hay. <laughs> hay is not high out there. Hay is huh. reasonably priced. But it's... Um, you know, they maneuvered the ADW takeout a little bit after the pandemic because of all the, the handle being shifted off track, which is which has seemingly helped the purse account um, be a little bit more competitive. But uh, take out, take out side just is. But I digress. Sir. I did well on the Breeders' Cup. Yes, you did. If I can do as I... well on the Breeders' Cup as I did in the Breeders' Crown. Oh, yeah. Sizzler time, baby. I'll be a happy, I'll be a happy man. I think we should try to get Aki a mount on the Breeders' Cup. It's easy. All he has to do is hold on. Yeah, and Mammoth got what was coming to him. They got the karma for <laughs> being jerks and forcing the Breeders' Crown to run in the daytime. So they told some mediocre, seven mediocre turf races. Then they got the storm of the century. Everything got canceled. So sometimes you just got to do the right thing for everybody, you know? But but that's 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 another racing, another racing issue that just never seems to go away. Um, like in my head, and I know this is going to sound strange, but in my head, it seems like the people that run racing and make decisions like that are on the Gordon Gecko model of reasoning and thinking honestly I, I respect gordon gecko in that churchill is like the gordon gecko of racing <laughs> like yeah. they have one objective and it's not that shareholder nonsense it's to make money right and Great. drive their stock price up that's that's their incentive everything that they do is geared toward that the rest of racing, sometimes I just don't know what makes them do things. Um, I hate that racing people are scared. I hate that racing people are stuck in the past. I hate that racing people don't understand things, that they're lazy and they just won't. Uh, I, I've heard so many people like try to uh, compare a sports analogy to racing. And I'm like, well, that's not oh, same thing. Well, we should have a commissioner. I said, you understand the commissioner's work for the owners, right? The commissioner's an employee. The commissioner's not a czar. Commissioner doesn't have unfettered powers to do whatever he wants. 
he is an employee of the owners. The owners own the league. We can't have a league. Who's gonna own the who's gonna own everything? <laughs> who's gonna own the tracks? I can tell you this: the tracks ain't never buying horses. Not a single one. They ain't buy a single horse. If owners had enough money to buy tracks, why wouldn't why wouldn't have anybody have already done it? It's a different analogy, but they'll use that all the time because it suits their their argument, which is usually uh, when, when you use a poor analogy, then that kind of kills your whole argument, right? Because from then on in, they're like, well, that doesn't make sense, and that's not really how it is. So everything else that they're saying is probably wrong too. Right. It just doesn't fall in line. <laughs> no, I've heard that so many times. Well, other sports, no, that's not true. That's not how other sports work. No, sports it, are, are, aren't, it, aren't like that. It's so unique the way the sport of racing works. You can't compare it. It's, it's impossible. No, but it's just so many things, Barry. Like, you'll see a track try, and this is a little bit more in the past than, than right now, but you'll see horse or tracks try a low takeout bet, and they'll try it. I remember Ellis Park for a, a couple of years ago tried low takeout on, on a couple bets, and they were like, ah, didn't work. Well, yeah, you're going against Saratoga. Canterbury. First did. place. And second place, you didn't give it enough time. You can't, people, you know, you, people have to get used to your circuit as well. Like, just because you have a low takeout doesn't mean I'm going to take all my, my action there from day one. I got to learn the horses. I got to learn the, the track. I got to learn the, the jocks, the trainers, right? I mean, low takeout is great, but Low takeout only matters as, as if you <laughs> you cash any tickets. If you're over all the time, it doesn't matter what the takeout is. Man, take, takeout's one hundred percent for you because you're losing. You still have to know the track. So tracks never gave it an opportunity, a long enough opportunity. And then like they couldn't wait to get jackpot bets because jackpot bets are good for track executives. Short term thinking. It, it gives them a chance to build to a giant pot they can promote and they can go to their 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 boss and say, hey, look, we got a $5 million pop, blah, blah, blah. It's great, great, awesome, great, great, awesome. Without understanding the dynamics of the jackpot bet are bad for virtually everyone but the teams that can play huge tickets on payoff days. And the thing is that you saw how quickly those things spread, right? Everywhere had them soon. <laughs> and the actual wagering uh, philosophy it's so hard to get anyone to listen. And even when they do, Santa Anita has, has, or Santa Anita, California has, has a late pick and, a, and, a, and an early pick, and, and they have 9% difference in takeout. I mean, that's like. Well, yeah, what's the deal? It's like nuts. It's like nuts. Nuts. Like the guarantees. When. You see the disclaimer they started putting on them now. Well, you see the guarantees, and, and you know, some of the sharper guys have said if you put a, a high guarantee, you're probably going to get it. But if you put a guarantee that's a third of what the pool normally is, well, what the hell difference does it make? You know, if you, if you usually get 75000 in a pool, and you say, well, 25000 guaranteed or even 50000 guaranteed, well... No shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, why is that attracting any money? Right. It's going to be that anyway. <laughs> exactly. It's like saying, you know, hey, come out to the game and watch our backup second baseman not play. I mean, it, it, it has no bearing on it. And it's... But that's the, the risk averseness that, that so many of these people have. And that's that's what makes Gabe Pruitt look like a genius compared genius. to these other guys. And he is a genius. I mean, Gabe, you're, you're the best. He is. Um, but still, like, he is willing to take shots. But Gabe is a player. That Gabe came into the business as a player. He wasn't born into the business. He didn't have uh, uh, an uncle that ran a racetrack and gave him a job and, you know, groomed him to, to, to take over. He's a guy that, that plays, and, and that's why he's successful. And it's such a simple concept, but it's just lost in so many different ways. And that's why it's so amazing that, that he got a chance to do all this stuff because, you know, that meant somebody higher up had to believe in that or at least somewhat believe in it to give him a shot. And that's I'll all be honest. the other side is, is somebody – to be a consultant at the very least. Well, I, honestly, one of the things I think that Gabe was able to do a lot at Pompano, especially, is that when he came there, the handle was so bad. Low. They that, didn't like, have anything to lose. <laughs> right. There was nothing to lose. I mean, there was absolutely nothing to lose. And just gave him a, a, I don't know, I'm not going to say a free hand because I'm sure he had, um, you know, obstacles to come overcome. And, you know, he's got to stick your neck out sometimes too. And, uh, nobody wants to be second guessed, but he just proved it. And it's sad that, that Pompano is going to close because it's like the perfect example of how you can structure um, your racing menu, your, your, your wagering menu, uh, put it on the proper days, have it be done properly, and you're maximizing. Because it's not like racing down there is. Uh, some it wouldn't be confused for quality. They have amateur races, or at the end of the season, some of the amateur guys have as many drives as the regular guys, and it just is such a a, a perfect proof positive of a lot of the philosophies that most of the other tracks won't adopt, <laughs> despite them showing, you know, despite them working here. I mean, how what they have like some unbelievable. 28 days or something, 18 days, over a million dollars there last year. Yep. Well, that's the thing is, you know, like, you know, thoroughbred tracks, the big ones, they have the flexibility to to make a mistake. You know, they're not working on razor thin margins where they they can't say, oh, we'll try this. And if it doesn't work out, we're, we're through. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, well, we'll just do something else. Well, part of it goes back to the fact that Churchill does whatever they want. Yeah. That, um, from the, the betting standpoint, uh, first bet is partners with the biggest CAW group out there. So they seem like they get a lot of preference. Naira has got a lot of red tape to, to deal with with the state. They're not allowed to just do um, right, make changes they want. And that's, you know, a place like Canterbury has done well with that. Um, but it's not an A track. So the amount of actual publicity that gets is probably muted. Um, 
I, I would gather that some of the executives of some of the bigger tracks don't even realize how much success some of these smaller tracks have had in doing different things. Um, and I know we're talking in generalizations, but, but, uh, but that's what it is. And, you know, we're seeing growth at the top and you just have to wonder, um, how sustainable is horse racing without a solid foundation of tracks all over the country, because it's tough to create racing fans without the live racing, without ever going to a racetrack and seeing it for your, you know, with your own two eyes to, to feel it. Um, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough concept and I'm not a believer. And we've talked about it lots of times that the PPs are too complicated. I think that's uh, ludicrous. If the PPs are too complicated, then the person is always going to be a loser. And eventually they'll get tired of the business because they're always going to lose. The PPs are not that complicated. No, I mean, they really aren't. I, I mean, I, I taught Sabria how to read them and she's eight. And that's when I learned how to do it. And she's good at it. I mean, she can tell you, you know, pretty much what the horse did, when they did it and what track. And who, you know, she can, you know, understand the, the order of finish. But, I mean, she's got the basics. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think the thing that we sometimes misinterpret as a business is that we need smart people. The dumb money's gone, man. It ain't coming back. The dumb money has moved on to slots. Sports. Now it's betting sports. I mean, it's we're just not getting a lot of the dumb money. And the people that are attracted to this business are, are are attracted because of the data, which makes some of the 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 barriers on on getting data such a tough um, pill to swallow. And 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 giving out PPs is not giving out data. That's just giving out PPs. That's that's not data. And I do believe that past performances should be available. There should be some form of past performance available for every track, free of charge. Well, look at look at the Australian ones. I mean, I play Australia quite a bit, um, but they're very, very basic. I mean, there's not much to them. You, you could find the class of the horses, who they ran against, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, and that's all you need. And, well, and they, they, we need to have a little bit more, I would want. But... Not having any past performances available for complimentary is a mistake. Even basic ones. There should be something available. This is, uh, you, you want people to bet on the games, right? You, and if you're going to encourage them to bet colors or roulette or something stupid like that, well, those are not the people that are going to be good customers. And instead of just getting customers, why don't we try to get good customers? Because good customers will stay. And bad customers and, and people who lose all the time will probably find something else to lose their money on. They'll come and go, you know, in and it's out. Not, it's just, it's just stereotypical almost. Um, you, know, you look at a lot of the daily fantasy players, and these guys have computer programs. Sharp. <laughs> and they're, uh, they are, you know, using analytics and, and things like that. Past performances aren't too hard for those guys. They'll pick it up pretty quick. And if you give them access to the data, not PPs, the data, they will find their own programs and they will, uh, <laughs> they're more likely to, to stay involved because they'll see it as a challenge. 
and, he, and I'm not saying give it away, all the data, but make it realistically priced. It doesn't have to be ridiculously priced. But that's part of the problem is when the tracks and, and the jockey club, which own Equibase, are in competition potentially with people who are customers that want to make their own uh, figures, that want to use the data to figure their own things out. I mean, that's, that's a, it's, it's a, a complicated relationship i guess you would call it but, mm-hmm. but growth there's no growth without risk you know there's no growth without risk i don't know how we got into talking about this those damn post times that's how <laughs> Yeah. Like I said, we're still going to watch him. We're still going to bet on Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's late, man. It is. I just That just means I have to kind of... I mean, it's 6 o'clock on, on, a, on a Friday night. Really the best time to be running our races? <laughs> Starting them. <laughs> yeah. No. Just seems like in, in the... It's like I don't know. I don't know. We, they don't well, I mean, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it real. So, um, the Volusia County Fair is on Friday, and obviously, I'm gonna bring my family because Sabria wants to go eat funnel cakes, which you know I'm not against by any means. But the fair opens at four. So I'm not going at four. <laughs> uh, you know, my wife doesn't get home from work until about five, five thirty. Where does that leave me? You know, put all my bets in for the for the Breeders' Cup races and and I'm out. But if I was at home, I probably would end up playing more. You know what I mean? It's 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 difficult. I, I find ways to do it, but you know, it's not ideal and definitely my handle is going to be limited on Friday on the Breeders' Cup races to just maybe some multis, you know, doubles, things like that, rather than, you know, maybe a little bit more because of the timing. Not saying that, you know, obviously the world doesn't revolve around Florida time, but it does make a difference in some cases. No, no doubt about it. And, um, but I, I can imagine other people being in the same situation on a Friday night. Well, I remember we used to do double headers. Right. Thoroughbreds in the day, harness at night. Post time at close to nine o'clock. <laughs> That's rough. You combined them. There, There is a big race today. Uh, Melbourne Cup in a couple hours, right? Melbourne oh. Cup, no. Hour. It's... Uh, it's oh, 10.44 Eastern right now. I didn't realize it was that late. Post time is, is right around midnight. So, Hour change. It's down to a 23 horse field. Only 23, eh? Mm-hmm. Take the 16. Number 16, Grand Promenade. That's the one. 16 is 16 to 1. That's the horse. I'm telling you. I already looked at it. 
incentivized is the morning line favorite. Hmm. Spanish mission for Craig Williams and Andrew Balding is six to one, second choice. And everybody else is double digits. So if you don't like one of the two favorites, you're going to get a nice price. Uh, Twilight payment for Joe O'Brien. Joseph O'Brien. Joseph. Joseph is, uh, he's at 11 to one. Uh, and they do the weird numbers are different than the the um, the numbers are based on the weights, not the, uh, the post position, <laughs> which always screws me up. <laughs> oh, you know what? I forgot. I forgot what? to shout out my man's Carlo and Nick Vacareza. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's a nice Philly. Yes, yes, she is. And uh, the Philly she beat of uh, that's uh, the Godolphin of Brad Coxhorse, who's mm-hmm. a half to lose essential quality, came back and crushed. She had beat her uh, second, our Danny girl, Carlos Horse, by Jess's Dream. And Jess's Dream had one start lifetime, and he won going a mile and eighth to Saratoga. Yep. <laughs> Shades of Jasper Great. Um, so you would assume that she could probably stretch out a little bit, but yeah, guys knocked it out. She looks she looks like a nice horse, so I'm assuming she'll be uh, racing a maybe closing weekend at Churchill and that Stars of the Future card, or or who knows who knows where she's gonna go. But she looks she looks good. Keeneland had a had a record <laughs> ball handle though. So we kind of take those things with a grain of salt. Asterix, asterix. But um, there, I thought the racing was pretty good, and they got a little bit unlucky with the weather a couple of the days. Yeah, towards the end, which they normally do. I mean, it was funny because I, you know, on Facebook you get the memories of going way back, I guess, and every time. They had literally almost every time they had the Ichabod crane come out, it was on a sloppy track. <laughs> Except for like one one year, I think it was 2016, it was it was dry. But most, all the other times it was wet. The funniest thing I saw, somebody, somebody commented on the Headless Horseman and said, was that Ricardo Santana? <laughs> oh, that was wrong, but man. I remember being at Keeneland some days where it was just like the in the spring or in the fall, like the best day you ever wanted, like just the most perfect 70 degree sunny light breeze day you could ever imagine. Snows. <laughs> one one day at Keeneland and uh, I was in the eighth and the ninth was on the turf and it started snowing, like literally snowing. Um, by the time my race was over, there was snow on the turf course, and we were all wondering if they're going to take it off or, or leave it on. They left it on. Yes, let's just. Back then they used That's to leave a cover. These days, I don't know. They might not leave them on, but back then they, Keeneland, like it had to be a deluge in the old days. But Keeneland used to run two turf races a day too. I mean, it wasn't like it is now where they race. You know, so many. There was no two-year-old maidens on the turf. There was. A lot of changes compared to the past, but uh, 
Yeah, well, Keeneland's a great meet. It really is. I know people are a little pissed off about the takeout. But, uh, you know, I'm raising it a couple of day, years ago. But And really, of all the tracks, they, they should be leading the way on that because they have two sales where they, they sell about a billion dollars worth of horses. Right. You can, you can, you can make the takeout reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fun place to go to. It's, it's, you know, it's as well kept as any track you're ever going to be at. And the people are nice. Um, you know, it's just, a, it's a, it's a cool place to go to the races. It's a great place to win a race. That's for sure too. But, but it's off till till uh, you know till next April, and we have Churchill with their no turf racing for the next couple of weeks. It's hard to believe, but the the fairgrounds and and will be open in a couple of weeks. Oakland Park will be open in a couple of weeks. Tampa, Tampa is a little earlier too. Yeah, Beamer, the Beam, the Beam. We'll take the direct flight from Portland right to Tampa. Yeah, right. If by direct flight, you mean drive. <laughs> yeah, we know what's coming, too. We're going to get a, a, a vlog of, of this trip. Always does a good job with those. They're always interesting to watch. He's a good dude. I'm happy that he got that job. Yeah. Go out there and... Go hit up Frenchies. See Sid. Have him it, convince him to come on the show as a regular. Yeah, we need Sid. It's time. This is Florida Sid. Yeah, he's he's brand new, man. I don't know if you've seen his Instagram. Uh, he's Woo. been a little wild on his Instagram. Yeah, man. He's letting loose. He's, he's, he's here. He's a Floridian. I want to tell Sid, he, he don't come on the show. We're going to hold him down and cut his <laughs> hair. Be like Samson. <laughs> strength away. Even Asmussen's is jealous of his hair now. Yeah. He's got the silver locks, man. That's just it's cool. No, it's, it's a sharp guy, man. And and you know what? He's not afraid to share his opinion. Whether you no, agree he... with him or you don't agree with him, he has uh, educated opinions about things, and he's not afraid to say it. And that's something that is lacking in horse racing. Educated opinions that people are willing to stand behind. Uh, that's, uh, our, I don't know how educated our opinions are, but, you know, we're <laughs> willing to stand behind them. Yeah, a little bit. But um, but we've rambled on quite a bit. I haven't even brought up my fantasy basketball team, which is basically a disgrace. 2-0, baby. We're essentially the OKC. Sorry, Craig. We're oh. OKC without the draft picks. I've, I think I've, I've ruined Drew Holiday's career. <laughs> Joel and Beeb's knee throbs every day when he sees that I have him active. They're finally sitting him out this week. Darren Fox. He's been he's been less than stellar. Ken Rudolph put the put the jinx on him, man. So they were, oh, he's cussing. They were going to punish him by trading him to the Sixers. He was cussing him. <laughs> Come on, Twitter. Ain't no punishment. Going to get traded to a playoff team from Sacramento. I think he, maybe we found the reason he's not playing really well. But uh, 
Yeah, my, my team stinks. They are pretty bad. It's early, man. I drafted a bunch of three-point shooters, and I keep losing them three-pointers. <laughs> well, I, I had to I had to really grind out a victory this week, Bill. Bogdan Bogdanovich has decided he's going to be Jason Kidd. Your Bogdanovich, mine. My guy has been... I, I, I should have tried to corner the market. You should have, because my guy's been... Spectacular! I was in a I was in a base fantasy baseball league with a guy one year. <laughs> he tried to corner the market in closers, so you know, <laughs> guys in most fantasy baseball leagues don't take closers because that's like the only points they get is the save, right? They don't really accumulate any other points because they don't pitch very much. They don't get many strikeouts, and you know, they just don't have many innings, but. So they're usually, you know, mid to later picks. So his first, like, seven picks were closer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy do that. And, and, it, and it did not go well for him, put it that way. The guy wanted he, to trade, so he got as many of the the best guys at one position to try to make trades. Yeah, I, I was in a fantasy football league and um, – the guy drafted a couple dolphins and he kept trying to trade them to me. And I'm like, I don't even like them in real life. Like, I ain't trading them guys. <laughs> like, those guys stink. Why do you think that they're good? And the dolphins, I, I, I'm going to be a typical fan here, but the dolphins GM needs to be fired. They got a guy playing right tackle. I'm telling you, if you let me like train for like a month, I couldn't be that much worse than that guy. At least I'd get in the guy's way. At least they would slow down when they ran me over. <laughs> I would, I would, I would slow him down a half a second. You saw the, the 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 video I sent you yesterday. He just didn't block the guy. And, you know, all pro on the other side. Let's not block him. Come on, man. Come on, man. Jesse Davis. You know what it sounds like? He sounds like, 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 uh, like. Remember the old professional wrestling, and, and they always had the scrub guys. That would come out like Frank Williams. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he sounds like—like like a scrub wrestler who like always loses, like the, the Washington wrestler. That's who they decided that they're going to start on their offensive. Line. Barry Windham's of the world. Yes. When 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 wrestling was real, <laughs> when it was when the blood was real. Well, looking forward to Wednesday. We got you, we got me, we got Jay. Not necessarily in that order. And maybe Doug. We'll work on Doug. If anybody lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, give me a shout and we'll have you uh, go to his house and make sure he's there. And not doing whatever the hell it is he does. He's mad. He, he's, he is. A sharp guy. I'm talking about like he sees things that that uh, in races and PPs, and, and he does the work. He's like Jason. You know, they, they do the work. They they watch a million races back and forth, over and over. They study the pedigrees. I mean, they're, they're and and they they understand the context of what they're seeing. That that's that's part of the thing that 
a lot of people that don't win don't get you know they never get that context and those guys are sharp so we'll have them on Wednesday and uh, that's let's see what we can do all right Mr. Spears all right Mr. Simon let's go it's almost that time CZ Rocket gonna press that button and send to send that shirt your way I'm telling you, man. If the CZ Rocket wins, I might just that might be it for me for the. I'm day. so glad that you're getting this on tape like multiple times. <laughs> oh no, it's it's out. It's, it's I, I can't hide from this one. <laughs> oh, no, there's no hiding. Jackie's warrior, you better be on your game. Ask Mewson if I know you ain't listening, but. We'll, we'll cut your hair off if you don't win. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Listen, if he gets beat, he'll probably want to cut his own hair off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as always, it's real and it's it's fun and uh, it's probably a little too long, but hey. If you made it this far, thank you for listening. And uh, check us out. Send us any feedback you want to at uh, Podcast at Gmail. Or hit us up on Twitter or even Facebook. I did put the, the, the six toughest feats in basketball ranked in order. Oh, yeah. That was, that was actually pretty good. And you got it right, exactly right. Nailed it all. Wilt Chamberlain averaged 48 and a half minutes a game one year. There's only 48 minutes in a game. <laughs> he played every minute of every game, including overtime. And then some. <laughs> and overtime, too. <laughs> no load management for Wilt. <laughs> and, and banged 14 chicks a week. Right. That's, uh, he just went too hard. That's why he's no longer with us. I should have done a 30 for 30 on Wilt. I mean, serious. They need to. 50.4 points a game. I don't care if he was playing with midgets. That's tough. <laughs> 48 minutes in the game. I think the, I think the record, well, LeBron's going to break Parrish's record of 1,600 games. He's at 1,300 already. He's 1,300. And he's, like, he's like 200 games behind. That's three seasons. Three seasons. I don't know if he has. I don't know. He he's gonna play at least two more. So that third season, you don't even want to do it. He's gonna he's gonna play until he can't play no more. I don't, I don't see him seeing. I mean, he ain't gonna be sitting on the bench like uh, Bob McAdoo playing, you know, twelve minutes a game. But like Walton, but the, it's hard to believe. You know, you watch him play. He looks sure looks like he's got a couple more seasons left in him. Yeah, after that donkey laid on. The other night, I think somebody could. I think somebody could get more than thirty assists in the game too. The way they give out assists, possible. It's definitely possible. If I throw you the ball at half court and you dribble seventeen times and score, they'll give you an assist. So, <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but like you said, it, it would have to be a 
a wildly high scoring game. Right. And somebody has to I mean guys have gotten in that's the 20s, fire. You know, so who was somebody got in the twenties not that long ago. Uh, but that's that's possible. hundred points in a game? Shit, man. Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of people say, Oh well, you know, ways come on, man. You know how many shots you'd have to get up and then make? Devin Booker scored seventy, right? The entire third and fourth quarters, it, it was a team that had like 16 wins. They had nothing to play for. And they fed him the ball and told him to shoot. He shot 40 times. He made 55% of his shots. And he was still 30 points. Off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's with four three-pointers. He was 30 points off. I mean, it's only a, it's only a handful of guys that ever scored 70. Elgin Baylor did it 50 years ago. David Robinson did it at the, at the, in the last game of the season, trying to right, and they gave basically David Thompson same thing. Last game of the season, trying to win the scoring <clears throat> title. So I mean, those are kind of like fluky kind of games where they were trying to do it, and they're still thirty points below. Clay Thompson has a record, for, you know, for three pointers, fourteen in a game. If you doubled, if he had twenty eight in the game, he'd still be sixteen Oops, points short. <laughs> You got to score more than two points a minute. That's tough. It's twenty-four second possessions, video game type stuff. So, like, it just is—it's just not never going to happen. Yeah, could someone score seventy? Sure. Could someone score eighty? Probably. And remember, Kobe scored eighty against Toronto. He was unconscious that game. And again, they—they they fed him the ball. They fed him the ball. They fed him the ball, and he's still twenty points shy. To be on pace, you have to have 50 at halftime. Yeah, then that, that's not happening. 25 a quarter at least. That's 25 a quarter. <laughs> Some teams don't score 25 and a quarter, let alone one guy. Yeah, four consecutive quarters. Right. Well, it'll never happen, too, because guys won't play. You have to play. You have to play the whole game. Yeah, that's the other thing. You see Kevin Durant get, like, insanely hot, right? Most of your scores, like, 50. Harden scored 64 times. That's 40 points shy. (laughs) Yeah, not even close. (laughs) In other words, not even close. Yeah. He, He did it four times. <sighs> it's just crazy alright well listen again thanks for everyone for listening and uh, if we insulted you yeah, we're sorry we'll talk to you guys uh, well Wednesday Wednesday less than 24 hours from now see you then Hey, if you're listening to the Going in Circles Big Monday show, which obviously you are, you should also sign up for the Going in Circles Digest. It's kind of a weekly, I won't say it's a weekly, but it's kind of a weekly uh, newsletter that we put out, and we cover all kinds of topics. We write stories, we talk about industry issues, we do some stakes previews, all kinds of different things. Um, If we find a interesting old video on youtube we'll post that we've done restaurant reviews all kinds of different stuff and best of all it's free and all you have to do is 
go to goingincirclesdigest.substack.com and put your email address in there and uh, we will um, send you the link as soon as it's posted. So go ahead, check it out, goingincirclesdigest.substack.com. Again, thank you for listening.